Well, welcome. Welcome here to City Life on this Father's Day weekend. We're glad you're here celebrating the weekend with us. As Anthony and Nate already mentioned, afterwards, tonight after we celebrate men here, a lot of men are going to the Norfolk Tides game with their sons, with men from the other campus. So now like something like 60 or 70 strong, but we do have tickets if you want to go. But uh, the thought was we'll have an abbreviated service tonight. Um, worship was just so good that I don't know that we'll get out at six on the dot. But you also know this is my first Father's Day preaching as a father, so you better believe I'm going to say something. So, uh, Steph and I, we didn't step into parenthood. Uh, I didn't step into fatherhood in the traditional way. You only have to take one second glimpse at our child to realize that. One, he's way cuter than anything we could have created, and two, he's got way more melanin. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's cute. He's adorable. But uh, prepping for Father's Day, this sermon kind of didn't uh, come together as other sermons do. I just felt God telling me to start working through my journals uh, just from the past few years, and I'm not a, a frequent journaler. Maybe some of you journal every day. That's not me, right? And nothing kicks your consistency in the teeth like adopting a toddler. So let me tell you, it's not like it used to be, but I was flipping through those probably more than I was flipping through commentaries just leading up to this because I just sensed that God wanted me to share our experience, um, Things we went through. Steph, if you want to know the full story, she gave the full synopsis in her Mother's Day sermon, right? Tonight, I'm just going to hit on some highlights, but um, just really sense that, that, you know, this is a teaching pulpit so often, but just that this would be a night of, of me sharing uh, my heart with you guys, some experiences with you guys that are out of these journals from the past few years. But that doesn't mean we're not going to spend some time in the Word. Come on. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we're going to pull from tonight. I have my Bible in front of me. Maybe you got an app. There's Bibles under your pew. And if you're new here, you don't even know how to turn to Romans in your Bible or 2 Corinthians, then I'll throw it up on the screen for you. We're going to read, though, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Verses 3 through 9. And it starts, it says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. So I love from the jump, Father's Day weekend, not only is God the Father of Jesus Christ, but it says he's, he's our Father. He's our Father who's in heaven, and he's the source of all comfort. It says he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives to us. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Come on, I'm going to pray real quick. Lord God, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you for fathers, but we thank you for each person here. God, where there's discouragement, I pray you'd bring encouragement. Where there's weak, weakness, I pray you'd bring strength. God, that you would touch every heart tonight through the truth of your word and just the word of, of, of the testimony you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I share this passage, and we share our journey tonight. And, and so often when you share your journey through pain, it's not to commiserate. We see in this, in this passage, we don't share our stories to commiserate, we, we share them for comfort. We share them for encouragement. There's, there's nine times in five verses that I just read where Paul mentions comfort. God comforting us and us comforting each other. 
It's one of the most precious truths of the gospel that even in our hardship, we can find comfort. That we can find comfort amidst hard times. And so often, Steph and I were in the adoption process. People would ask us while we were in it. They still ask us today, why was it so hard? Why was it so expensive? Why did it take so long? Why was it such a headache? And sometimes I have time to answer those questions, but that's a long answer. Sometimes I just point people to, it's a documentary on Netflix. It's called Stuck. It's really well done. But it's about the adoption process, and it's called Stuck. And it's funny because when we were in it, that's what it felt like. You know, I was turning through these two journals, and probably one verse stood out well past any others for that season of our life, and it's Proverbs 13, verse 12, where it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. You know, sometimes we feel stuck. I was watching that documentary, and there were multiple times where I wept. Not so much for even Steph and I, but there's millions of orphans. Four in this documentary that they highlight, their, their hope is for a family. Their hope is for a home, but it's a dream deferred because of just a broken process. And, and Steph and I, a, a family was a hope that was deferred because of infertility. So for them, it was a broken adoption process. For us, it was infertility. And I don't know what tonight maybe you feel stuck in, but there's, there's always those periods of life where, man, it feels like we've got this hope. There's something that's been promised, and it just seems like it's being put off. seems like it's being deferred. It might be chronic pain. It might be somebody in your family that's, that's struggling, and, and you're at the end of your rope. You're ready to give up hope. I don't know what it is. But again, a lot of times in life, we're waiting for this hope and this promise to be fulfilled. We have to learn to wrestle with that. And we as a church, we need to learn to wrestle with that with each other because those are natural seasons. Uh, on a grand scale for mankind, we live between Christ's resurrection and Christ's coming again in that gap. And personally, as we walk through that life, there will be times where, again, we're waiting for hopes to be fulfilled. And Steph and I, uh, we went the route of adoption, but before we ever adopted Raj, we took on, I don't know the right word, we brought in a cat, <laughs> Josie. I fought tooth and nail not to let her in my home. I don't hate pets. I don't hate animals. I just like them in about 15-minute increments, and then they can go live with somebody else. If I'm going to have an animal in my house, I want it to take care of me, not me take care of it, but... It was early in our marriage, and a happy wife is a happy life. There's some advice for y'all. So I let her win. We lived with this cat for like two years. Yeah. But after two years, we knew we were going to come here to plant this campus. And because our house sold so fast in Newport News, we knew we were going to move at least twice. And going into this adoption process, we knew after that we still might have to get rid of her just because of the process. So we were like, let's find her one good home, and she can just have one transition to a new home. And I'm ready to surrender my man card tonight because when we gave Josie away, I cried. I cried. And it wasn't about the cat, okay? This cat was crazy, ratchet, totally spazzy. Cord is nodding his head because just randomly violent. Anybody that was in my house while we owned this cat, if the cat was, yes, Jamal as well, you knew if you were in the room with it, you weren't safe because it didn't like anybody coming in the home. So as you can guess, wasn't the best for ministry. But it uh, wasn't, wasn't about the cat, but I realized just praying, <laughs> asking as a man, why am I crying about giving away this cat? Like, Josie was a placeholder for that third person that would have made our home a family. 
You know, that mentally to me, we were living in this gap between a hope deferred and the dream fulfilled. And my heart was so sick that this cat somehow became that, that third person that made it the family. And I cried when we gave it away. And so we gave Josie away and then we moved down here in 2015. In December of 2015, Steph shared about this a little bit in her Mother's Day sermon. We were two years into the adoption process and we were actually adopting from Ethiopia at the time. And we got this email on a Saturday morning that it was going to be at least five years till we would see a referral with, as they said, a trend of increasing. So likely longer. So likely we weren't going to see a referral from Ethiopia till 2020 or beyond. I'm I'm like doing math in my head, like how old am I going to be when I hold my son in my arms for the first time? And we got that email on a Saturday morning. So, of course, we went to Saturday night service. And let me tell you, that was a sacrifice of praise. You know, like, God, I don't understand how this is ever going to work for good, but I trust that you're good. And we praised him anyways. And let me tell you, the next week, I was called upon to to do two baby dedications the very next week. So there was... a bitterness I had to fight against, a cynicism I had to fight against because hope deferred uh, makes a heart sick. But man, if you give into those things, it can make your heart stuck. And we're not called to live stuck, focused on my problems and focused on myself. We're called to run a race. How many of you guys have run a race collegiately, high school, track and field, cross country? You've run some of those races, right? I've never, I've run marathons. I've never run any of those races. But I, in college, I had three roommates three different roommates that did track and field. We're talking high jump, hurdles, and, and 200, 100 dash. So I would go and support them. But one week, I guess I had nothing to do. Maybe in college, I didn't want my nap, right? Because in college, you get to do all those things. And I went early, probably like an hour early. And what I witnessed, I wasn't ready to see. Like, it blew my mind. I had never seen this before. It's called the steeplechase. Anybody familiar? Jamal knows what I'm talking about. Simply put, it's a 3,000-meter obstacle race with four barriers, basically hurdles, and then the the game changer, the monkey wrench thrown in all of it, a a water pit, a massive water pit. And I was watching this happen before me, thinking, man, this is where they got the idea for the show Wipeout. Like, like this is track and field meets track and fail because it is a 12-foot water pit. Nobody just up and scales the whole thing. So the strategy for most is I'll put one foot on the hurdle and then one foot in the water and the next one I'll be out. Or maybe they hurdle it, land in the water, they know a couple strides, I'll be out of here. But you know, best laid plans of mice and men, right? There's always a couple people that just bite it. You want to be amused for 15 minutes, look up steeplechase fails on YouTube. It's a black hole you'll have to pull yourself out of because it's, we love train wrecks. That's what the water pit is. It's a, it's a train wreck. But again, there's strategies because the runners, they know it's coming. They don't come around the turn and like, what is this? No, they know the water pit's going to be there. Now, for us, when we read the Bible, we realize that in life, we're destined to have similar pits, similar valleys that we'll go through. And when you read the Bible and you realize that, it takes the surprise element away so we can prepare our hearts for them. We realize in life and we realize in the word that our pit stops are a lot like, or our pits are a lot like pit stops. You look at passages like James 1, Romans 5, verse 3, where they talk about, man, when you come across trials and hard times, rejoice, praise God. Because in those pits, in those times where you're going through trials, you're actually being equipped with endurance. You're being equipped with character. You're being equipped with perseverance. Those, those pits are a lot like a pit stop where things are being added to you. Now, is there grief and sorrow? Absolutely. But there's also growth and there's strength. We don't get stuck 
we get up like those runners, and we keep running the race we're called to. But there's a lot of times in life where we experience a gap, a pit, a gap between our hope that seems deferred and seeing it fulfilled. Sometimes it feels like 12 feet. Sometimes it feels like 12 miles, 12 light years. And I know for myself, as we walk through the adoption process, and for me approaching fatherhood, there were just two responses from my flesh that weren't right and two perspectives that I had to get right. And the first response of my flesh was to shake my fist at the sky. Man, if I haven't received what's promised, is it because of God? We see in the book of Job a man who didn't just have his hope deferred. He basically had his life smashed. Everything he knew taken from him, family, possessions, even his health. And he certainly shouts towards the sky. And I love, there's a man named Christopher Ash that says, Job is 42 chapters long. Why? Because there's no instant working through grief, no quick fix to pain. Job is 42 chapters long because there is no instant working through grief, no quick fix to pain. In Job 10.3, he asks towards this guy, towards God, what do you gain by oppressing me? Why do you reject me, the work of your hands? See, when God doesn't put the promise in our hands, sometimes it feels like he's rejected us, the work of his hands. And Job chapter 3, verse 23, there was a verse that I found in one of my journals where he says, what's the point of life when it doesn't make sense? When God blocks all roads to meaning. You know, good, good father is not just the title to a song that's been played about five million times and is probably being sung thousands of times this weekend on Father's Day weekend. It's also it's a title I've long desi desired, to be a dad, to start a family. And in March of 2015, I was listening to that song in the car probably again for like the 500th time, 5,000th time. But I felt just in a moment of, of prayer, God asked me, would you still call me a good father even if you're never called a good father? Would you call me a good father if you're never called the same by a son or a daughter or a family that you so desire? And the question was, will I let problems paint a faulty picture of who God is? Will I project my circumstances onto God's character? Or can I still trust, no matter what happens, that God is still good? Because in life, there will be pits. There will be peaks and valleys, ups and downs, but God doesn't change. Every day, he's the same. No matter what happens, no matter what circumstance, God doesn't change. And we may not see the meaning of the pits even in this life, but God will never block the most important road, and that's the one to him, to his presence, to who he is. Even Job got an audience with God at the end of Job. It's not the audience he thought he was going to get because God doesn't so much give him the answers, he gives him himself. There's a, a great song written about the book of Job by one of my favorite songwriters, and the chorus is, all that I have are questions. So much is veiled in mystery. You are yourself the answer, the only answer that I need. But you know, if I can reconcile the fact that God is good, then my flesh still comes at me from a second angle. I don't shake my fist at the sky, but I shake my head at myself, and I think, is it me? Because Unlike Job, we often don't need three friends to come and accuse us and debate whether we've stumbled. The enemy just plants those thoughts in our head. He's the accuser of the brethren. And I remember driving through the tunnel one day on my way to Newport News and to the office and just reflecting on life. And nobody's ever told Steph and I that we can't have kids, like that it's an impossibility. It just hasn't happened. So at that point, I started thinking, well, God must be withholding this thing. And if I believe that God is good and he's withholding it, is it because of me? If he's a good father, am I a bad son? 
You know, is there something in me that, you know, I'm not quite the father I need to be at? There's still work that he's doing in me. Is it because of me? We can so quickly step into this idea of a contract faith. Well, if I do good, good's going to happen to me. If I do bad, I'll get punished and I won't see the blessing. It's where people get the idea, well, if you just had a little more faith, you'd finally get healing. If you just had more faith, you'd get what you're hoping for. But, man, you look at the, the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. It's kind of a sports title that's applied to that chapter. These, these people that were champions of faith that it lists from Abraham to Moses through and through, through the Bible. And you finally get to people who had faith, but they didn't see their hopes and promises fulfilled in this life. It says in verse 13, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Their dreams weren't fulfilled here on earth, but they were still called champions of faith. You know, I would give room in my head for questions like, what did I do wrong? But we see from Hebrews 11, maybe a better question is, what am I doing right? Jesus promises when we follow him, when we step into his purpose, that there will be troubles. There will be hardships. And I'm not so naive as to think every difficulty we come into is because we're following Jesus. Sometimes we, we step into difficult seasons because we're, we're dumb. <laughs> Sometimes we step into difficult seasons because of disobedience. Some people are like, well, the devil's been so busy. No, you just got lazy. You didn't seek counsel. You didn't heed counsel, right? So there's times where we step into difficult seasons because of ourselves. There's times we step into difficult seasons because we live in a fallen world. You look at natural disasters, things like that. But then there's also very real times where we step into difficult seasons because we're following Jesus. Jesus told me and Steph to pursue parenthood through adoption, and that wasn't without difficulty. Jesus gave us a plain warning in John 16, 33. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He's saying, look, the race comes with hurdles and water pits, but those pits are just a pit stop. And so often we pray, God, get me out of this when our perspective should be, God, what can I get out of this? Sometimes and often, God doesn't want to fix the problem as much as he wants to fix our perspective. I know a lot of you are too young to remember this song, but many of you might remember it. My dad, shout out on Father's Day weekend, raised me on classic rock. Uh, it's by Steeler's Wheel. It's called Stuck in the Middle with You. It came out in 1972. And there's something powerful when we remember that even in the pit, that God's there with us. That even in the pit, we can rely on God. As Paul said, they learn to stop relying on themselves and fully rely on God. There's a perspective shift there. He remembered that even in this pit, God's presence is there. Man, and your perspective can either cripple you or propel you. The perspective doesn't necessarily remove the problem, but it can propel you through it. Your perspective can change everything. And I, I had to learn through these past few years a couple perspective shifts I had to remind myself of often. And the first is look up. Not to shake my fist at God, but to shift my focus to eternity. Paul says in Romans 8.18, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal later. That equation that that verse gives us is God's promises over my problems. What comes next over what's now. Perspective shifts when you take what's temporary. Everything in this life is temporary. And put it next to what's eternal. And again, the pain of, of hope deferred, it's not removed the pain is real but we realize it's temporary and the prize and the reward is just as real the second perspective shift i had to learn was to look around 
How do you bridge the gap between a dream deferred and, and, and finding life, this tree of life? And there's a, another verse in Proverbs that I believe bridges that gap. In Proverbs 17, 17, it says a brother is born for times of adversity. You can substitute a sister is born for times of adversity. A sibling is born for times of adversity. Again, in trouble, we so often look at ourselves. Is it about me? What do I need to do? But we're also called to look around, exchange comfort and community. We see that in 2 Corinthians 1. But we got to learn to comfort well. We can be flat out terrible sometimes about comforting well. You know, when, when we meet somebody in a pit, they're waiting for a hope. There's so many responses. There's the cheerleader who tries to keep all things positive and says, even in your pain, just grin and bear it. There's the accuser who thinks, well, you've stepped into this pit because you've stepped out of the will of God, so we need to find what you did wrong. There's the divine masochist who encourages to just enjoy the suffering because, you know, it's equipping you. There's the super Christian who, again, would say, hey, man, healing would just come. We just need to find more faith. How are we going to work up this faith? You know, we grasp so wildly for answers because when we don't see why the hope is deferred, we can get frustrated. It seems if it seems pointless to us, sometimes we just assume it must be pointless. But, you know, we're called to bear one another's burdens, not necessarily explain them. The reason is God's domain. Our response is our assignment. But you know where you can't go wrong? Just point to Jesus. You know, life is so much easier as a pastor, as, as a human being. When you get beyond trying to pretend you have all the answers and simply admit, I know the one that has all the answers. And I want to know where to find them. And when it seems like he's blocking the road to meaning and it seems like he's blocking the road to the answers, we need to remember he never blocks the road to his presence. He never blocks the road to him. Jesus came. Jesus suffered himself, shared in our sufferings, and died so that that door could remain open and he could hold it open for all of eternity. You know, if I could have the worship team come up, we're going to do this. Get you out here by like 610. We're closer than Newport News, so the drive is shorter. I'm just going to use that as an excuse. And worship was fire, so. But yeah, if the worship team could come up to repeat that flames. It was July 29th of 2015, again, in one of my journals, and Steph and I were in the middle of the process, which she talked about on Mother's Day weekend as, as just the, the messy middle. We were in the, the middle of what seemed like a never-ending adoption process. There was no referral in sight at that point. We were in the middle of, a, of multiple moves, making our way from Newport News to this region, in the middle of this transition from being a youth pastor to a campus pastor. And I just woke up that morning riding a wave of anxiety, riding a wave of what-ifs, fear, and I needed to cast an anchor. And I remember going into my Bible time, maybe you guys do this, like it's, you're going through a reading plan, and you just know there are those days where everything lines up, and like the heavens open, and it just speaks to where you're at. And I'm like, God, just let this speak to my heart right now, because I need something. I don't know where I was. I was probably in like Numbers or Leviticus, because I went through my reading time, and there was no like eureka moment. And I prayed. There was no peace beyond understanding in the moment. So it was a Wednesday morning. I, I did my usual tradition. On Wednesday mornings, I would text different youth pastors because the services were that night for many of them and just encourage them and, and, and tell them I'm praying for them. And one of my buddies, Josh Kelly, he pastors down in Virginia Beach. He was with his wife at that time looking for a home. So I sent him from Psalm 16, uh, a passage where in the message version, it says, you've given me a house and a yard. Other translations say my boundary, boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. And I remember I switched translations and I saw where I had highlighted the verse before where it says, Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. And in that moment, my perspective shifted. 
I remember to look up and God met me in that gap of hope deferred, dream fulfilled. Because there was a reminder that God holds my future. And if I believe that God is almighty and he's sovereign, and if I believe that God loves me and he cares, and then I realize he holds my future, then there is a peace beyond understanding, no matter what season you're in. So again, tonight, I don't know what your hope deferred is. I don't know what dream you're waiting for God to fulfill. But can I just pray that God will meet you there? That God will give you a perspective that causes us to look up and exchange comfort with God, exchange comfort with one another that the gospel promises. Come on, if we could stand, we're just gonna sing that refrain, we're gonna sing that bridge, and then we're gonna get out of here. But God, I pray, God, that you would shift our perspective. It says in that passage in 2 Corinthians 1, we stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. There's just that argument from greater to lesser. If he can raise the dead, man, he can deal with what I'm dealing with in my life. And then you might ask, well, does God care? Does he love me enough? Is he good enough? You look at Romans 8 where Paul says, if he gave his son, how will he not also give us all things? God, I just pray that tonight where there's a lack of hope, where there's discouragement, where there's anxiety because we're in the middle and we're waiting for the hope to be fulfilled, that you would meet us there. God, you would give us comfort. And as we walk through whatever period we're in, God, you would give us an eye to look around and exchange comfort with this community that you've given here. God, you give us hope so we can be the hope of the world. God, you are the hope of the world, but you've given us, this church, a purpose and a calling, God. I pray that we would rally around each other through the mountaintops and through the valleys. God, and you'd be glorified through it. But God, we sing this and praise you and remind ourselves, God, of the truth of the gospel.